0: Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. So we got our first Factor Meals, and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how, when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how Factor Meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low-calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash talk 50 and use code talk 50 to get 50% off. That's code talk 50 at factormeals.com slash talk 50 to get 50% off. Quick preface for this episode before we get started. Today, we launched our first ever Skillshare class. It's called Creative SideQuest. It's about how a side project with the right layers of strategy can enable the big career breaks you need to thrive. This episode is meant to be a preliminary kind of bonus material for the class. The content in this episode stands alone. You don't ever need to take the class to get used to of it, but I'm hoping that it whets your appetite for the class and enhances and improves your experience of doing the class. All right, let's get into it. All right, I want to introduce the topic that I want to do a deep dive on today with you, my fellow creative scuba diver. Um, We're... We're deep, we're deep diving. And it starts with a kind of unusual question. So, in the Skillshare class, the first step is called, who are you? It's, it's very mysterious for an online creative career video. Um, but we attempt to define who you are as a creative by defining your industry, market, and niche. While I was working on the video, I, I started to realize that there's an equally helpful and interesting question that goes alongside this topic of industry, market, and niche. And the question is, where am I? Which industry you do your creative work in, which market within that industry you fit, and ultimately how you stand out in that market with your very own niche is not just a question you can answer in a moment. It's a huge journey. Yes, Take a stab at defining your industry, market, and niche right on the spot. Try to figure out the best of your ability. But ultimately, know that finding this creative career sweet spot is an ongoing, cyclical kind of process. Over the course of your creative career, you may hop into other industries. You might break into new markets and define new niches. In fact, your niche might become your market and your industry might become your niche. That's really overcomplicating it for the purposes of today. But here's what's important. Know where you are in this three-step process, this process of breaking into an industry, breaking into a market, and then solidifying your place in the niche, that is a three-part process, and it's a, a, a long process. And although I think you should attempt to define it today, I think, uh, and define who you are today for the purposes of the class, I think it's also helpful to not just say who you are, but to say, where am I really? Which of these places am I stuck? Which of these places do I need to have a big break in? For the purposes of this episode, let's say finding your industry and then your market and then your niche is a three-step journey. Your objective today is then to decide which of these steps are you stuck on in this current season of your creative career. Think of it like a mall map. Remember that? Remember the mall map when you're heading to Sam Goody for some new sweet Sony headphones for your Walkman so you can listen to Sugar Ray, uh, I Just Want to Fly, on repeat? Uh, that was maybe just me. Um, the rest of the album was too hardcore. A- anyway, <clears throat> think of it like a mall map. Today, I want you to decide where you're going to put your You Are Here sticker in one of these three phases. Why does this matter? It might seem irrelevant to say, where am I? Uh, Why do you need to know where you are? Well, for me, knowing and identifying where I am, which season I'm in, has perpetually led to significant clarity and then significant breakthrough because of the actions that I could take with that clarity. So let me tell you two reasons why Knowing where you are is a game changer. The first one is you need more than a goal. A compass is no use to you if you only know the destination. If you don't know where you are in relationship to the destination, you you might have a true north, but it's completely meaningless to you because you don't know uh, is it north of you, west of you, east of you, south of you? Those are the directions. You can also the tertiary or uh, I, it's not. A, I just wanted to say tertiary. I don't think there's a tertiary direction. I think it's whatever the second version of that is. Northeast, northwest, south, north. <laughs> All right. You you understand how a compass works, right? <clears throat> uh, it, <laughs> I totally derailed myself. All right. There, there are tons of times where I got so fixated on a goal that I didn't realize that I was actually, in relationship to that goal, five years away and several steps away. Because of this, I kept skipping vital steps and running into huge brick walls and wasting loads of time because I didn't I had, a, I had a destination, but I didn't know where I was in relationship to that destination. For instance, I wanted to get into picture books. I started by pitching rough sketches and stories to an editor that I had an in with at a, at a kid's book publisher. We did this for literally years. Literally years. I would come up with a new idea for a story. Send all these thumbnails and this you know scrawled text only to realize that I was miles away from being ready to pitch my own stories. When I finally took stock of my actual location, where I was in relationship to this goal, and and asked myself, where am I? I realized I needed a portfolio of kids appropriate work. Then I needed to illustrate other established authors books. Then I needed to study and practice writing and storytelling in smaller arenas. And then, and maybe just then, I could write and illustrate my own uh, kids books. I wasted years trying to skip my uh, to my ultimate writer slash author destination, but when I finally accepted the reality of where I actually was, I started to make progress super quickly. I now have two self-published illustrated kids books, one major published kids book for another that another author wrote, and I have. Uh, two more of those on the way. I haven't quite reached my self-authored, self-illustrated kids book, but I'm getting super close. That's the power of knowing where you are in relationship to your goal and not just having a goal, but knowing where you are in relationship to it. The second reason why knowing where you are is huge is that huge goals can be super demotivating. So, The day you dream up a huge goal can be this super exciting thing. Dream huge, dream big. BHAGs, you ever heard of that? Big, hairy, aggressive goals? I don't think it's called that, but it's something like that. You know, these huge goals, like I'm gonna have a Netflix special. Crazy things like that. Um, (laughs) The day you think those up, you can be, you're super pumped, but the second you start heading towards that goal, you might see that you're years away, and that can be so discouraging that it can cause you to give up and say, "Why? Why should I even try? Because it's just too impossible to know if I'm gonna get there." This happened to me when I started my journey to be a freelance illustrator. Right out of college, I was getting a few illustration jobs, uh, not even close enough to pay my bills though so I had to get a part-time graphic design job and I had to get up at 4 a.m. and take two trains and a bus to get to that job and on top of all that Uh, My wife and I had a newborn baby that refused to sleep. She did this cute other thing instead of sleeping where she would just scream bloody murder at all hours so loudly that I literally had to plug my ears because it was piercing my eardrums. I've never heard a sound that hurt my ears quite like my firstborn's uh, blood-curdling screams in the middle of the night. (laughs) It was horrifying. I was depressed and I was desperate to skip to my end destination of, a, of being a full-time freelance illustrator so I didn't have to get up at 4 a.m. and, uh, y- you know, do these buses and trains to this job that I didn't want to have. Um, it was tough, and it was in this time that uh, my dad had this inspiration to send me a book that introduced me to the concept of the hero's journey. So if you hate when I talk about the hero's journey on this podcast, you have my dad to blame. Um, <laughs> but seriously, uh Anyone that listens to this show knows I'm freaking obsessed with the hero's journey, uh, but I've only just personally realized why I'm so obsessed with it. And, and the reason is discovering the hero's journey and its phases, because the journey is blocked out into very specific uh, phases and acts and it gave me the growth mindset. It is what literally changed my mindset from a fixed mindset to I either have it or I don't to a growth mindset which says I can acquire it by putting in work over time. And it got me not only to accept the process and the journey towards my destination, but to be excited about where I currently was. I see this in my son's Taekwondo class. He started a year ago and his ultimate goal is black belt he won't get there for years but of course it's not just training until then all the while he's leveling up he's currently on his fifth belt green belt i've got a green belt child do you know how how freaking proud i am to have a son who's a green belt so awesome and the same goes for your hero's journey and your creative journey. It's not all about the final destination. There's a phase you're in right now that you can conquer, that you can go all in on, that you can make real progress on today. It's, it's not all about the destination and hitting your goal. Along the way, you first need to break into your industry. That's a huge belt Right? That's your first belt. Uh, Establish yourself in the market. That's your second belt. Ultimately, carve out your own niche. That's your third belt. And all along the way, there are things to celebrate and get excited about and get stuck into. Finding which of these phases for you to get stuck into today can help you figure out what to focus on next, AKA, calibrate your compass, and motivate you to get stuck into the season you're in today so that you can level up to the next phase. This three step journey thing has me feeling a little bit like Dora the Explorer right now. Uh, But I haven't seen Dora in like 10 years. So it's all melting into Blue's Clues. For this next step, I wanted to get out our handy dandy map. So what's Boots wanna do with these three clues? We go over the industry wall, through the market barrier, and into the niche kingdom. Oh, okay, oh no, it's side table drawer. Why, why I, that name? Side table drawer. Say it with me, everybody. Side table drawer, no side table drawing. Side table drawer. <laughs> All right. For those of you who haven't turned off the podcast, please don't turn off the podcast. I will quit with the Blue's Clues Dora mashup, I swear. Uh, if you just keep listening, um, <laughs> don't turn the podcast off. All right. Here's the real deal. A little recap. Your big break journey. This journey to uh, to your creative career sweet spot, it has three phases, breaking into your industry, then your market, then your niche. We're gonna go into, uh, we're gonna, yeah, we've covered this idea, the industry, market, niche, bullseye idea, in a different way in the past, but we're gonna define what I mean by that and kind of think about it in a different way that I think has potential for new levels of breakthrough. Um, your job, is to determine which of these phases you're currently stuck in. Think of them as like seasons of the year. You're, one of these is the season that you're currently working on. Um, let's go back. Uh, let's get a little Dora. You know, uh, I told you I was done with Dora, but I lied to you. Let's do it a little bit more. We'll just imagine you pulling out your map. It's like a dungeon castle map. You know I like that. Uh, There are three layers to this creative career castle you're trying to break in. Try to envision this in your mind. The first barrier, the outer wall, the curtain wall of the castle, if you will. That's the industry. Think of your industry like like the curtain wall or the moat around the castle. The second barrier that you need to break into, the market. It's like that little... In inner wall uh, that has a drawbridge and all that stuff. The third barrier, the niche, that's the inner fortress where you slay the dragon and and you attain your goal and collect the treasure. As the marketers say, the riches are in the niches. Um, does that make sense? So we're th- imagining your industry market and niche as three layers to your creative career castle, and each one is going to require certain expertise, knowledge, uh, tools to break into. Now we're gonna go through each one of them right now and figure out what you need to break into them and figure out which of these you're currently stuck on. All right, let's storm this creative career castle. First, the first barrier is the industry moat. So your industry, you know, it's not a, it's an obvious term. There's the music industry, the film industry, the design industry, the illustration industry. It's the huge collection of markets that make up this particular creative career sector. And it's determined by the gift that you have. If you're good at design, you go into the design industry. If you if you got an ear for music, you go into the music industry, right? Like I'm guessing you know which industry you need to storm, but you might not have clarity on the creative gift that's gonna get you through that barrier. Think of it this way. You can't get into the door of the music industry or the film industry without something special to bring to the table. There's a moat dragon, the industry middleman, the record label execs, the kids' book editors or agents or art directors or whatever. And the only way to slay these middlemen moat dragons is to be armed with your secret weapon, your true creative gift. It's got to be something next level to get in there and you got to have a deep sense of it. So you might know you might know the industry, but do you know your creative gift? I think your creative gift is a little mystical. It's kind of like falling in love. I think you know it when you have it. And it, and, it, and and you just got to keep working towards it and trying to trying to unearth it and try to sharpen it. It's not I can play music. It's I have this killer falsetto. It's not I write songs. It's I write narrative songs that make you feel the story like you're living it. It's not I make films. It's I make films with this twist that blows your mind. It's a it's a very particular skill set that's true to you. That's innate to you. I'm a big believer in the growth mindset. I'm a big believer that it's not all about talent. But there is a degree in which you need to lean on your innate abilities, your innate talents. It's, it isn't all about talent, but it is a little bit about talent, and you're going to get somewhere good if you start on your best foot forward, your innate offerings, your innate giftings with the unique way that your brain is wired, And so that's the first step is what is your true creative gift? I've had a lot of progress over the years in thinking about how to unearth my deepest giftings, whether it's the public speaking market, the podcasting market, the illustration market, or what have you. Uh, I feel like I've figured out some shortcuts, if you will, to how to find where those gifts are hiding. My favorite of these hacks is leaning on your taste and not your talent, per se, or what we would think of as your talent. Leaning not on your ability, but your sensibility. And in episode 229, we did a deep dive on this idea of taste, but I was speaking with a friend who's very familiar with this concept and this, this taste philosophy of mine. And there was still some confusion about some of the fundamental building blocks of why I believe your taste is your true talent. Uh, and, and let me just explain that really quick because I think it'll help you find some breadcrumbs to your deepest creative gifts and help you break through into your industry in a major way. And it comes with this idea of super taster. Super taster sounds like an Andy J Pizza original, right? That word definitely sounds like something I would invent, but I didn't. It's a technical term from scientists. What is a super taster? A super taster is somebody with a ridiculously sensitive palate. A ridiculously sensitive tongue. Tons of sensitive taste buds on a super taster's tongue. It means they have this ridiculous sensitive tongue that can pick up on an outrageous amount of nuance in in flavor profiles. Okay, a super taster tongue. Some people have that. Some people are in the middle. Some people are on the low end. A super taster. But I want you to ask yourself... In what way are you a super taster? Not just if you're in the food industry, but what if uh, a super taster when it comes to an ear for music or an eye for pictures or a funny bone for humor? Like, I believe that it's not the skill that allows you to make great creative work. It's, we've, all, we've talked about this before, this idea of, you know, your Uncle Jimmy can shred a guitar. He knows every note on the scale of the fretboard, uh, b- but that doesn't mean that he makes good music. Skill in creative work doesn't equal good. What does equal good are your choices. And to make those choices, you need creative intuition. Your creative intuition is informed by your palate, your sensitivity. Let me explain it one other way. So, I think that to find your true gift, you need to look to the things that you're the most sensitive to, the thing that you're most receptive to, the thing that you're a super taster on, that you have ridiculous receptivity to. For me, it's spiritual things. I have a deep sensitivity to things that feel otherworldly and spiritual. I have a deep sensitivity to patterns and analogies. I have a deep sensitivity to triumph and overcoming. Like those are the things that affect me the deepest. Anything in a movie, in a song, in a in a in a video, in a in an illustration that hits on those things, past, future, present, whenever, back in the day my old heroes that did this stuff and the people doing this today, I have a ridiculously sensitive palette for those things and because I pick up on them in other people's work and I pick up on those tropes and experiences in life, that super tasting palette becomes a radar for navigating my own work, for making choices in my own work. It's literally that radar that's so sensitive to those experiences. That radar becomes a hot and cold game in my own work. You remember when your uh, siblings told, uh, has picked the Batman clock on the wall secretly and you're having to walk towards it and they're saying, when you're getting closer to it, and they're saying, hotter, hotter, lava. And then you keep walking past and they're like, ice cold. Like, that's your taste. That's what I mean by taste and your sensitivity, you're a super taster for a particular type of music, for a particular type of film, for a particular type of design or illustration or writing or books or whatever, you have a this radar, this taste that if you're receptive to others, if you have a deep receptivity to a, a genre or a trope or uh, in, in other people's work, that same radar, is going to allow you to have a creative intuition to make choices, not just with knowing all the notes on the fretboard, but knowing which to pick to get to a certain end, which is gonna get you hot lava and which is gonna give you ice cold. To me, that sensitivity, where you're a super taster, that is the defining quality of your creative gift. Because you can be uh, a musician that only knows a few chords, but if you have an outrageous amount of taste buds for that type of music that you're trying to play, you can do breakthrough work. And so the best place to start isn't in your ability, but your sensibility, your taste. What are the things that move you in a deep, passionate way that you... One way that you can know is the guilty pleasure idea that we've explored on this show, this idea that, um, you know, things that move you that maybe shouldn't because you're just extremely sensitive to those things. Now, uh, you know, I think that there's an interesting thing going on here because we're talking about talent and, and instead of... You know, work ethic. And I like to, you know, be real about the fact that, you know, everybody might have some ability to be athletic to, to, to a certain degree, but not everybody's going to make it in the NBA. And the same goes for your taste. Your, what you're a super taste on. It doesn't matter how hard you try if you just don't have as many taste buds as the next person, and this is a taste contest, right? Like when I sip whiskey with my grand, uh, my, I was going to say granddad. It's not my granddad. It's my kid's granddad. It's my father-in-law. When I sip whiskey with him, and uh, he smells it, and he says, hmm, I'm uh, detecting caramel, and uh, vanilla notes, and right at the end there, I'm uh, picking up on a—I uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know—some uh, some, uh, some uh, maple syrup. Do you get any of that? And I smell it. Mmm, smells like whiskey. That's what—that's <laughs> what my nostril palate has. And I taste it, and I'm like, mmm, good whiskey. And he's—and he's you know describing this elaborate pr- flavor profile. I just don't—I can't stand up to that. I don't have the innate thing. And I think that, you know, Malcolm Gladwell that would say that yes, 10,000 hours, that's what it takes to be a master, but it's 10,000 hours of the right type of work, right? If you go the wrong direction and you keep going, you're actually getting further away. And so I think where you start is incredibly important and you should lead with what you're a super taster on. Quick disclaimer, just for a little bit of encouragement, that if I think it's maybe even less about being a a super taster, and it might be more about knowing what kind of taster you are, having the self-awareness to know that uh, you have a limited flavor profile, uh, uh, palette, right? Uh, Guy Freirey. Like he, he's a great example of somebody who he probably isn't a super taster, but he's able to make content and, and deliver dishes that speak to the niche of a group of people that aren't super tasters that don't have a ridiculous. You know, they need freaking hot sauce, nacho cheese, bacon on everything just to feel something on that tongue. Right. And so there's something even weird about that. Like you don't maybe you don't even need to have all that nuance because there's audiences out there that need something less subtle. Like, you know, it's it, there's a huge spectrum of here without undoing everything I've said. I think it's uh, the interesting thing is to understand your super tasting ability having that self-knowledge and leading with your innate uh, sensibilities rather than um, just trying to develop them from scratch. The second barrier of this creative career castle is the market castle wall. Here's the thing you need to know about the market. It's not a one-person job. You can't get over this wall without other people. Maybe you've got over the industry moat. You've broke through. You slayed the gatekeeping middleman moat dragon with your true creative gift, your pencil in the stone, your master sword, your elder wand. You've got it. You got through. You're armed with a weapon, but now you're hitting that market wall. This segment of your industry, this This place in which people with your particular flavor of gifting earn a living. That's your market. For me, I'm in the illustration industry, but the market of kids' books. To have a significant breakthrough in this market, I can't do it alone. I need to find my people. Let's call these people your market party. You know, like a fantasy RPG party or Dungeons and Dragons party. It's like a group of ragtag medieval uh, warriors, you know, different. They've all got their different vibes, but a common goal. Use that super tasting ability from the first phase in the industry phase. Lead with that. Let it tell you. Who like like with Spidey Sense, tell you who is making the most inspiring, exciting work in your industry and what are they doing? Like what genre or or market or segment of your industry are they congregating in? These are your people. For me right now, it's illustrators and kids' books. They're writing and, and illustrating their own kids' books and illustrating other authors' books and the stories that are told with words and pictures in this market are blowing my socks off. I don't have any socks on because they blew them off. I'm I am so passionate about the kids books that are being made right now. These are my people. But here's a little hack for you, a little tactic. Here's what i've realized you can't always worm your way into the ranks of your heroes your heroes are rarely going to be your market party at this point it's a real long shot for me to think that i'm actually going to join the market party of my kids book heroes but instead i can join the peers alongside me who have the same heroes as me so maybe you don't need your heroes to be your people uh, I think it's extremely powerful to settle for people who share the same heroes as you. In fact, I would say it's not even settling because when you combine your forces with these newbies, these other newbies, uh, you to- you create this totally new wave in your market. And it won't be long until you have your own market protege party coming up behind you and what you've done in the market. Go on Instagram and befriend like-minded creatives that are commenting on on your hero's posts. Go find that, that pool of talent. That is who you can start your own market party with. So, when I say find your people to break through this market castle wall, do you instantly think of three to five people who you're going on this journey with? If not, if it doesn't just instantly come to mind, maybe just one comes to mind, or maybe nobody comes to mind, if you don't have anybody that comes to mind when it comes to this market party, you your You Are Here sticker is on this part of your medieval mall map. I love mixing metaphors. Uh, you're stuck in the market phase, and it's time to dig deep and make some connections. The third and final barrier between you and your true creative career, Big Break, is the inner niche fortress. It's where the dragon's hiding. It's where you'll find your treasure. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that's the last barrier. And uh, you've got to... Slay this dragon. You've got in order to slay the dragon, in order to break through the niche fortress, and to gain access to that inner sanctum of this creative career castle, here's what you've got to have. You've got to bring something unique. Your niche, it's carving out a unique space in your market where you are number one. Seth Godin argues in his book, The Dip, that nobody goes to the second best pizza place for dinner in your town, right? Like, they've got to have some niche. You might actually go to the second best pizza place if the pizza's second best, but it's also way less busy, and that's what you value. So you, they're the number one least busy pizza place in the town, but you've got to have something or people aren't gonna go to you. You've gotta bring something unique, you have to create your own niche. So, in uh, fantasy parties, every character on the team has a different role. Every character in the party has a different character class. In order to get a real shot at your big break, you gotta define your own creative character class. Are you a creative bard, a mage? Paladin, whatever that is, I don't know what that is. I'm not that fantastical. Uh, but if your market party already has a bard, you're going to be sit- playing second fiddle, stuck on the bench. You're gonna. If someone has everything you already have and they're already established in the market, you're constantly going to be backup relegated to that creative career fantasy bench i don't i don't know that's sports and fantasy um metaphors happening So you'll be stuck outside the niche fortress unless you can define and embody a true, unique offering in your market. In plain words, how are you different than the other people in your party? Here's a few different areas where you can carve out a niche by how you're different than them. First of all, your identity. Maybe no one with your particular identity and background is already at this market table. It makes me think of uh, SZA, you know, SZA, SZA. For those who aren't into the R&B music space, um, I feel like her music, her album, really reminds me of like a Frank Ocean album from the lens of uh, a feminine perspective. And uh, there's so much stuff in common, except it's just totally from a different angle. Sometimes that's all you need. Another angle that you can carve out your niche from is your medium. Your creative weapon of choice might just be different. You might be piano-based when all the other people in your market are guitar-based. You might be uh, line-drawing-based when everyone else is u- using shapely watercolors. Just changing the coming to the table with a different medium sometimes is enough to create a, a niche and stand out and offer something different your influences might be different. Maybe everybody in your market shares all the same influences except for one. Maybe everybody in your little crew loves Neil Young and you're the only one that also is obsessed with Billy Joel. Don't hide that. Don't be ashamed of that. Let that freak flag fly and you can be like the Father John Misty in the indie folk world. He kind of reminds me of uh, a a new age, uh, a, a new Billy Joel I don't know if that's true or not. I might just be talking crap, but that seems right at the time. Uh, another way you can just stand out is you're just your quirks, your stylistic flourishes that are unique to you. It could be experiments that have kind of rolled into uh, everything that you do and become a thread through your work, just little tiny weird choice differences that no one else in your market chooses. Whatever it is, however you want to do it, realize you've got to offer something different of value. You've got to be number one. If you can't make the best pizza, be the quietest pizza chain in your town, but you've got to have something. If you don't, I just like this idea, so I'm going to say it again. If your market already has a creative bard, you're constantly going to be playing second fiddle, literally stuck on the creative career bench Find your difference. If you don't know right now, right when I bring it up, you don't know how you're different to your peers, that's where you're stuck. That's what's holding you back. That's what's keeping you from the riches and the niches, as the weird marketers would say. Uh, You're stuck trying to break into that niche fortress, and you know where you are and what you got to do next. Quick recap and a disclaimer. So where are you stuck? Are you stuck with the industry? Do you not have a clear sense of your creative secret weapon, your creative true gift, your true super tasting? Do you have an ear for music? Do you have an eye for pictures? Do you have a funny bone for humor? That taste, that sensitivity, that is your radar. It's your hot and cold uh, intuition that's going to guide you through the choice making, getting closer and closer to that hot, stinking lava of great creative work that's necessary to break into that industry. Or have you yet to find your people? Are you not surrounded with, connected with on an almost daily basis, You know, commiserating, getting excited with those market party peers? If you don't have those people, you're going to be stuck outside the castle wall. It's not a one-man job. Get in there. Get stuck in with your heroes or your uh, uh, peers that share the same heroes. Or are you stuck right outside of the treasure vault, the niche fortress? Have you yet, maybe you have fit in so well with your market party that you're playing second fiddle. You're, you're a, the second creative bard. Why do I have to say that three times in this episode? I don't know. I just liked it. A um, little nerd humor, I guess. Um, but have if you have not defined a clear, valuable difference that sets you apart from those in your party, you have yet to define your character class and you'll be stuck outside of the niche fortress. Now... Real quick, this is kind of a meta extra layer that can kind of be confusing, but I think it's worth mentioning that wherever you're stuck, realize that that side quest that we're doing in the Skillshare class often really breaking through that next layer of your creative career castle requires doing an entire side project, doing an entire side quest The only real way to work it out is to work it out in the work and not in your head. You know, I don't think I found my gift until I'd made a huge creative side quest project. I don't think I'd really broken in and fit into that market without making a bunch of work and bridging that gap between me and my heroes. I don't think I ever really got original offering, a unique, valuable difference to those in my market party until I made a bunch of work attempting to do so. So yes, have a clear sense of where you are stuck on this map. But don't wait to start making work. Take a stab at defining what you want your industry market and niche to be. Figure out where you are in relationship to that goal and start making work. beginning of this episode i talked about how a compass is useless if you only know your goal and you don't know where you are in relationship to that goal you don't know where you are right now and you haven't accepted it and i told you that early in my journey to break into kids books i wanted to skip to my ultimate goal of having a major published book that I had authored and illustrated and I wanted to skip right to that destination and that I spent literally years wasting my time trying to do that instead of accepting where I was and making the next bit of progress necessary. There's a kind of uh, sobering moment and coming to terms with your real place in relationship to that goal that is just so powerful and humbling. And it's where the real progress starts. And it reminds me of the time that I got lost out in the English countryside in the middle of the night on this huge ridiculous run that I hadn't told anybody about. I was living with my parents at the time and I'd gone on this huge run. And I got super, super lost. And I just kept going. I just kept searching for a road back to my home. And I was so embarrassed that I just kept going until it got later and later and darker and wetter because it was England. And I had, uh, I started developing. Um, calluses or uh, 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 blisters on my feet. And it was just an absolute disaster. And it wasn't until I let go of finding my home and accepting where I was that I actually made any progress. I flagged a car down. And I used a stranger's phone to call my dad. And my dad asked me, where are you? And it was at that moment that I had to accept that I was miles and miles and miles away. And I was deeply lost. And I asked the guy in the car, do you know where I am? Do you know any landmarks? nearby that i can tell my dad so he can come pick me up and he said yeah there's this you know famous pub just a few streets over it's you can't miss it if you go if you if you know where you're looking and so in that same way it might be time to let go of that ultimate goal to humble yourself Look around and find the landmarks of where you are now. And if you will do that, I believe that you will find your way to that creative career sweet spot, that creative home where you're balancing creative fulfillment with financially thriving. And you're thriving in a whole New way. All right, that's another episode in the bag. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our Creative Pep Talk soundtrack, Volume One. I get high on my own supply all the time. in that i am constantly embarrassingly so uh into the soundtrack to this podcast and i go on spotify you can also go on apple music and i listen to it because it's great instrumental music that hypes me up when i need to get in the flow state on some of my drawing uh, thanks, Alex, for making this, this thing so special. It, it means a lot to me. It's kind of become my uh, personal soundtrack as, as well. Thanks to Chris Graham for audio assistance from Chris Graham Mastering in the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. I hope this episode enables your next big break. If you want to have a thriving creative career, you're going to have to string together uh, a handful of big breaks. And uh, you, you need to not do it on accident. You need to know how to do it on purpose. And I hope these ideas and tactics and tools allow you to do so. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.